So a few weeks ago, well, probably longer than that, a few months ago, uh, Natalie and I went to go visit uh, her parents. And um, while we were there, it was late at night, and we were just kind of flipping through the channels. And uh, my father-in-law asked me if I'd seen this television show called uh, Alone. Any of you ever seen the, the reality television show called Alone? Three, four of you. All right, so, so for those of you who haven't seen it, um, Alone is a reality television uh, show. I think it's on the History Channel, right? And so we, we started to, to watch it, and um, man, I just, I became so intrigued by this show because what they do is they take 10 uh, contestants and they basically drop them off in the middle of nowhere. I mean, like complete rugged wilderness alone. No TV crew, just their own cameras to film their footage, just a backpack and like 10 items, like 10 basic items that they can fit in the backpack. And the whole TV show is a contest to see who can stay out there and survive the longest right? Like, who can hunt down enough food to continue to survive? Who can build a strong enough shelter to survive, like, sub-zero temperatures in some cases? And who can not get eaten by grizzly bears, you know? I mean, this is what they do. And so, um, some of them are out there, you know, for a few weeks, and then they're like, they've all got a phone, and they're, they're calling and tapping out because they just can't handle any others. Some are there for 40 days, or 50 days, or 70 days. And if you make it to like a, like if you're the winner and then you make it, I think if you win, you get like $500,000. But if you make it to 100 days or maybe it's more than that now, you get double that and you win like a million dollars. And so these guys are like trying to hold on with everything that they have. And they're losing like 35, 45, some of them over 50 pounds since they've gotten there. There's nothing but skin and bones and they're just trying to survive, trying to make it to win this money. Now, of course, these aren't people who are just your average day uh, Joe Blows, right? I mean, these aren't people that just were sitting on the couch and go, hey, I think I'll go, you know, be one of the contestants on this show and get dropped off in the middle of nowhere. I can do that. Um, these are people who had been training and have acquired certain set of skills to be able to have a better chance to survive in these situations. These are people who have studied and they know kind of what kind of plants they can eat and, and what kind of plants they shouldn't eat that might kill them. They know how to make weapons and set traps and be able to hunt for food. They know how to build shelters. They've been training for this physically. And so all of these people who show up have, have, have the skills and the, the, the physical um, uh, aspects to be able to survive and to be able to win the show. They, they really do. But, but the problem is, is as skilled as they are physically and as prepared as they are for this challenge, it's not often the physical component that is the most challenging and the most demanding for them. It's the mental component of just being alone. It's the mental component of living in isolation with no community. I mean, like not having anyone to talk to at all. Not, not having anyone to encourage you or support you. No one to give you a high five every now and then. No one to say you can do it. And, and no one to give you a hug. There's just no community. They're living in total isolation. And it just drives many of them crazy. 
I mean, by like the second week, they've only been there seven, eight, nine, ten days, and many of them are already talking about how, how lonely they feel, how unprepared they really were for the mental toll that it would take on them to be living in total isolation. Some of them are taking like the, the cameras that they have, and they're like giving them names and other, like Tom Hanks did in... Uh, Castaway, right? And he's got the volleyball and he's got Wilson. Like, you gotta have somebody to talk to. You can't live in total isolation, right? And so this becomes the challenge because, I mean, really living in isolation, living in isolation is hard. It's really tough to do. Being alone and not having anyone to talk to and anyone around is way more difficult than many of them think that it will be as a matter of fact in the opening season of of season eight the latest season as they're kind of introducing the show i mean before they ever really get into the characters and what it is that they're doing it's just like a a screen with the wilderness area on it and there's there's a quote that comes up kind of setting the tone for the whole season and the quote is this the worst cruelty that can be inflicted on a human being is isolation the worst cruelty that can be inflicted on a human being is isolation and it's true and you see it playing out in many of their situations in this television show called alone and if the worst cruelty that can be inflicted on a human being is isolation why in the world do many of us try to live the christian life in isolation because many of us do let's be honest we really are trying to live the christian life a lot of times in isolation from other people we think i've got my own individual walk with jesus and that's all i really need i don't really need to go to church i don't need other people i've got my own individual walk with jesus and let's face it in a day like today that we live in in today's culture and with the internet and access to content we've got access to plenty of content right we can listen to sermons we can uh find blog posts we can access a lot of different content to help us grow in our walks with Jesus and, and, and learn more and I can, I can pray on my own and I can fast on my own and I can do all the spiritual disciplines on my own and for many of us we really do try to live the Christian life in isolation now, some of you are like, well, that's not me. I'm, I'm here this morning, and I, I recognize that. Every now and then, we will show up to a worship service like this, or you'll join us online to kind of listen to a sermon or something every now and then. But, you know, let's face it. Let's, let's be real this morning. Many of you walked in, and you sat down in your spot, and you tried to avoid as many people as you probably could, right? Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. You're giving off the vibes, like looking down. I don't want people to talk to me. I don't want to be really seen. I don't want to talk to people. I just want to come in and I want to listen to the sermon and then you're going to be the first ones whenever the song starts playing at the end. You're not going to wait around. You're going to jet out before you know, we, we leave or even if you stick around for that, a lot of times you're still looking for the easiest and fastest exit to be able to avoid a lot of people. We didn't really participate much in the hour before this. We just came to the service or again, if we did, we just kind of showed up for the content and what I'm saying is, is in reality, we can be in a setting where there's still other people but if we're really being honest and looking at our lives overall, we're living the Christian life in isolation. There's no real community aspect to our lives in the way that we live the Christian life for the most part. 
We've been talking this summer about identity and who we are in Christ, and I'll be honest, we've, we've been talking mainly about personal identity. We've been mainly talking about you and the relationship that you have with Jesus, the new you that you've become in a union between just you and Jesus. And it's all true. All of this it really is true. It, it happens when you say yes to Jesus and you put your faith and trust in him for salvation. He forgives you and he comes to dwell in you and your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are in union with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and all of those kinds of things and you can walk with him and talk with him and pray with him and learn and you can study on your own but the thing is we were not meant to live the christian life in isolation god himself is a relational being god the father the son and the holy spirit lives in constant relationship with himself and the bible says that we were made in his image we are relational beings that's why it's such a struggle for all of those who are on this tv show called alone and think well i got the physical aspects i've got the skills i can stay out here forever and by day 14 they're like i'm done i can't handle being out here by myself more and more people, and you know this, throughout this year of COVID, we're suffering from being isolated from other people. And physicians and doctors and ERs are seeing way more people than they used to for things like depression. I had someone come up to me after the first service and were saying, you don't know how much this message spoke to me today because I was walking through depression and it was just in line with what I was meeting with my doctor and my counselor about and all of these kinds of things. More and more were being Depressed because of the things that are going on in our, our, our culture and because we just have this rugged individualist um, kind of attitude within the American culture, right? If it's going to be, it's up to me, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you, you go and you set goals and you drive and this is the way we do our, our careers and the way we teach our kids sometimes in school and it's all about you can do anything that you want to do and accomplish anything that you want to accomplish and it's all this quest, this individual drive and we apply that to the Christian life and we end up living it in isolation. Guys, when we have an identity that we receive from Christ the moment we put our faith and trust in him it's not just a personal identity that we receive there's a corporate aspect to our identity there's a way that we share our identity together in Christ we're not just joined in union with him we're joined in union with each other and the writers of the New Testament scriptures go to honestly great links to make sure we don't miss that to make sure that we don't miss the fact that we're we're not lone ranger christians but that there's a part of us in our identity that has a corporate aspect and we're meant to live in relationship with others the writers of some of the new testament give us these pictures to make sure that we don't miss it along the way and i want to just uh, go dive into scripture for the next few minutes and talk about some of these things that the New Testament writers say about our corporate identity. The first one is this. In Christ, we are a family. In Christ, we're a family. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he says, To all who did receive him, referring to Jesus, to those who received Jesus by faith, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of 
God, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, we are spiritually born again into his family, which makes us a son or makes us a daughter, and we do have a relationship as a son would with a father or a daughter would with a father, but that also makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, and it makes us a family. The Apostle Paul would go on and even say this in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 19. He says, You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and are also members of His household. You and I are members of God's household together. We're not just sons. We're not just daughters. We're not just living in a relationship with the Father we're family. Listen to what New Testament professor Joseph Hellerman writes in one of his books. He says, God, in, in, in Jesus' great work of redemption, was not establishing a series of isolated, personal relationships with individual followers. He was creating a family of sons and daughters, siblings, who are now all one in Christ Jesus. He says, the saving work of Christ, therefore, has a corporate as well as an individual dimension. For the Apostle Paul, the church is a family. Again, there's there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We have a corporate identity as a family. And being a family, of course, has implications to it. Right? I mean, being a family means that we're meant to live in community with one another. We're meant to live in intimate relationships with one another. And I know not all of you have the greatest family life. Not all of you had a great family life necessarily growing up. And you're thinking, well, if, if, if we're a family, I don't know if I really want to be a part of that because family to me isn't so great. And I, I get that. And I realize that we all have different experiences growing up in, in different settings. But again, in, in the purest sense of it, of what a family should be in the intimate relationships that should be there, this is the kind of family that we are. And that plays out in the fact that with these intimate relationships with one another, we're meant to encourage one another, we're meant to love one another and carry one another's burdens, we're meant to challenge one another and serve one another and just be involved in each other's lives in a way where, where Christ is working in and through us so that people experience his life through us in in a way that he's working in and through other people to where we experience the life of Christ in and through them and so this is this is the first thing that we've got to see that our aspect our corporate identity is that we are a family and that means that we are meant we are created recreated even in Christ to do life together not just with Jesus in a personal relationship but in a relationship with other people. The second thing that the New Testament writers want us to not miss is that not only are we a family, but that we are the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, 22, the Apostle Paul says, And God placed all things under his feet, referencing Jesus, and appointed him, Jesus, to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so Paul gives us this picture where Jesus is the head. We uh, together are, are his body. 
Jesus is the source of the body as the head. And of course, being a body means that we're a unit. Means that we're all joined together. Means that we're attached together in the same way that your body parts and limbs are all attached together. We fit together as one if we are a body. Now, uh, Paul mentions this and references us being the body in a couple of other places. One of the other places he mentions it is in Romans chapter 12. Look at what he says there, beginning in verse 4. He says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member isn't really that important to all the others. No, each member belongs to all the others. And that, that is some strong language. If, if we belong to each other, your body parts belong together, <laughs> right? Be kind of weird to just walk by and see an eye laying on the ground. <laughs> Be kind of weird to walk by and just see a foot or a big toe laying around. I mean, they aren't meant to be that way. They're meant to fit together. They belong together. This is part of who you are. You belong to your brothers and sisters in Christ. They belong to you. Now, again, this has implications as well that, honestly, what I want to point out goes way beyond just even our local church. When, when Paul's referencing that we are the body of Christ, we're talking about, he said, even though there are many, like even though there are many individual Christians throughout the world, we're one body. There might be millions of us, but there's one head, Jesus, and there's one body. And so what I want you to see is that if, if we're one body and we share that with all other Christians throughout the world, then this implies that we see men and, and women and we see Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Methodists and on and on as one body, right? Not, not, in, not in us and a them, just in us, one body, right? Now, I'm not saying that, that all churches who carry the name church in their title are true churches in the sense that they're Christian churches. Not, not all believe in the deity of Christ. Not all believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that kind of a thing. But for those that do, for the, those who at least hold to the core doctrines of what make a Protestant Christian church a church, even if we differ in our views about women and men in ministry or um, premillennialism or amillennialism or any of these other kinds of things that we can disagree on, as long as we agree on the core main doctrines, then we are all one in Christ and it's not in us and to them. And I think that there's way too many of us, and I bring this up and highlight it as we're talking about this corporate identity because in our culture, we are becoming more and more divisive. We're grabbing a hold of the things that we believe, the way that we see Scripture. And listen, I've got my convictions, and you'll hear me teach about certain things that are secondary issues that doesn't mean they're not important, but they're not primary to what falls under the umbrella of being a Christian church. 
And so we can, we can have differences of views in those things and still be the, the, the body. We, we are becoming so divisive about the things that we believe and then we're calling out the people who don't believe it exactly like we do and we spend the majority of our time trying to prove that we're right and they're wrong and we're fighting and arguing as brothers and sisters in Christ who are one body and belong to each other. And the rest of a lost and a dying world are watching us just fight and fight and fight. And I'm not saying that doctrine isn't important and that we shouldn't talk about it and have real discussions, but I'm just saying that in our society today, we have elevated things that are secondary issues and started throwing out the word heresy way too often. We have made ourselves the gatekeepers of who's getting into heaven and who's not and taken it away from Jesus. This is what we do. But we're one body. And so the, the implications of being one body means that we can have discussions about differences in the way that we view different things in Scripture, but there's got to be a recognition that we're still all in this together in some way, shape, or form and unite with the rest of the body to reach a lost and a dying world around us instead of them just looking at us and seeing us fighting with each other all the time, which is becoming way more and more prevalent. Uh, Paul goes on and he talks about the body in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 for, for time's sake. I'm not going to um, read all that this morning, but there he goes into talking about how you know specific body parts, the eye and the hand, and the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. Again, we may all be individuals with different gifts and abilities, but they're all valued, they're all a part of it. We all belong together as one. The, the last image that I want to just highlight that the New Testament writers give us is that in, in Christ, we're not just a family, we're not just the body of Christ, but Paul talks about how we're a building. He wants us to picture that we're, we're a, a building, individual stones and bricks that make up a, a, a building put together, though. Ephesians chapter 2, I read to you verse 19, where Paul gives us the picture of being a, in, in God's household, a family. He switches the metaphor in the very next verse. After, after saying you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Listen, in him... The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And so uh, Peter would even go on in 1 Peter chapter 2 to talk about how we're, we're living stones, right? We may be an individual stone, but we're, we're put together in a way that we make up an overall building. We're not just a stone, one stone laying on the ground. You, you can picture the, you know, a, a, a bricklayer, and he's grabbing, he may grab one individual brick, 
but he's going to lay mortar down and he's going to stack that brick on top of other bricks and piece it together. And so your attention may go to the, to the one brick that he's working with in that moment, but when it's placed down there and the mortar seals it around the other one and then it comes here and it all gets put together, when you look at it, you're not going to go, wow, look at that magnificent brick right there, that, that one brick. You're not even going to notice it as much. You're going to go, look at that magnificent building right it's all put together in a way where attention is drawn towards the building as a whole and so again i think this just helps us picture the the corporate aspect of our identity not just this individual walk that we have with jesus it's a walk that we have with each other of course in this building jesus is the cornerstone he's the architect he's the the master builder of it all and Honestly, this building is still being built. It's not finished. There are new stones that are being added to it daily. Every day, there's more people who are coming to know Jesus and putting their faith and trust in Him and becoming part of this beautiful building. They're becoming part of Christ's body. They're becoming part of His family. They're becoming part of our family. And so one of the other implications that this has is if it's not a finished building then that means that this isn't a closed family group right and it's still open to those who haven't yet received him no matter who they are no matter where they've been no matter what it is that they've done there's room for them in our family there's room for them in the body of christ there's room for them in the building that the lord is creating as the master architect and that should be good news to those of you who may have never taken that step of faith to trust him that there's still time for you to be able to receive him into your life and become part of the family and the body and this building that he's constructing but it also is a great reminder to us that we are he works in and through us as one body to reach more people to bring into his family and we become more open and aware of what he's doing in our lives and what he's doing in us as a group to reach those people so these are some of the implications of our corporate identity that we have but there's others and, and it's it, it's really this i mean we've been saying all throughout this series that what we believe about ourselves and our identity who we are is oftentimes the main influencer of our behavior and actions and, and for many of you, that's been true. You've taken ownership of some of these identity statements that we've been talking about. You're no longer a sinner, but you're a saint. And that's changed your behavior in a lot of ways to recognize that the power of sin has lost its grip on you. And, and, and so you've been experiencing some of that as the summer's gone on. But the same is true that when we come to believe and see that we have a corporate identity that will also influence our actions it will influence our behavior and the things that we participate in when we start to take ownership that we are a building that jesus is constructing when we take ownership that we are his body and that we are a family we are number one going to begin to value unity over our personal preferences 
We recognize that he's the head. We're just the body. The source gets to dictate where the body's going, what activities the body is getting involved in, and who's he's going to use, which part he's going to use for this, and which part he's going to use for that. And we we don't just look to our own part and value it. We look over and we value what he's doing in and through the rest of the body because it's all part of his great work. When we take ownership of our corporate identity, we will also, as we talked about earlier, begin to value the universal church and what it is that we have in common over our differences in fighting about those particular things. And then finally, when we see and take ownership that we are a family, it will begin to show that we have a value in living in community with others when we believe that we're a family he's going to influence and work in and through our lives to to really do life together as a family to to value this time where we're we're singing together as a family we're worshiping together as a as a family we're we're learning together as a family this is the one time that we're all learning the same thing that we're all coming under uh, hopefully what it is that the Lord is doing in and through me as your pastor to teach, to put us all on the same page and uniting around the way it is that he's leading us as one of his local bodies and the way that he wants to work in and through us. And so we've got a value being together to learn together and grow together in those areas so that we can live it out together. Because if we don't value that and we're not here to listen and be a part of those things, how can we live that out truly together? Not only do we value being in here, but we value moving from the large group that we gather in to smaller groups because it's really hard to do real life together with 200 or more of your closest friends, right? Like you can't really dive in and do that there. And so that means that we, we take value and value a smaller group and the things that the Lord does in us and through us and the relationships that we build in, in Sunday school and other Bible study groups and so when you really begin to value your corporate identity you'll quit just coming to the worship service and you'll start to get involved in real biblical community with other brothers and sisters in Christ with other parts of your body with other pieces of the building this is what will happen as we begin to take ownership of our corporate identity. We've been having each one of the Sunday school groups over to our house, still being relatively new here for only six or seven months, and and it's been so good for us to get to know each one of the groups, but what I've loved more than anything is just watching the the interaction that takes place between people who are in the groups i mean some of them are coming in and immediately they're just like ripping on each other and they're poking fun at each other and they're they're laughing together because they know each other so well and they're just like talking about little personal experiences that were inside jokes that made them laugh that they can make fun of them about something and you don't find that kind of thing unless you've been doing life 
together. And not only are they having fun, but I'm sitting down and listening to them share their story. And, you know, some of them are going, you see this person right here sitting next to me and this person and that person right there. Those three people called me every single day when my husband left me. They came by every single day to check on me when my spouse passed away. I wouldn't have made it through these experiences. You see that person over there? They were there when we got married. That person over there was in the hospital room whenever we, we gave birth to our children or whenever they were there when our grandkids were born and they were able to talk about all these life experiences and what the Lord was doing in and through them to encourage one another and love one another and carry each other's burdens and all of the one another's of scriptures that only play out in real life with other brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot have that experience trying to live as an eyeball on the floor. You can't do it. You're always going to be missing. And again, I'll say it, you may still be connected to the head because truly there is never a time when you're alone if you're in Christ. He's always with you, right? But there is an element of the life in Christ that you are always going to miss because you were created to be in relationships with other people and living that outside of the church walls and being involved in each other's lives together. And so if you're in a group, stay in the group and get plugged into it even more and go deeper with it and find out what's going on outside of the group and have people in your home and be in their homes and go to their stuff and let them come to your stuff. And if you're not in a group, get in a group. You were created to be in relationship with others. Living in isolation is dangerous. It's dangerous. It's not how you were created to live. You are a part of a family. It is who you are. It is your identity. So go live who you are in being relationally connected with other brothers and sisters in Christ and allow him to use them to carry out all the one another's in Scripture and allow him to use you to be those and carry out those one another's with others.